I'm not the pheasant plucker. I'm the pheasant plucker's mate. I'm only plucking pheasant because the pheasant plucker's late. Okay. I'm not the pheasant plucker. I'm the pheasant plucker's mate. I'm only plucking pheasants because the pheasant plucker's late. I'm not the pheasant plucker. I'm the pheasant plucker's mate. I'm only plucking pheasant because the pheasant plucker's late. That was very nice. (laughs) Yeah. Hello and welcome to Are We All Met, the podcast where we endeavor to connect with our community of performing artists, emerging, working, and in progress during the COVID-19 pandemic and find out how we're moving forward. I'm Anna Atkinson. And I'm Sean Haight. Today we are talking to Abby Smith. Abby met Anna when they were students at Indiana University together, and she has now graduated from Belmont University. She's here today to talk with us about her experience as a Black female in the arts and her passion for social justice. Abby, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so, so excited to be speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. (laughs) Yay. Yes, Abby and I are both Libras, so obviously we're the coolest. (laughs) And as always, we are going to kick it off with our exquisite corpse style book game. But today we're going to switch it up a little bit with an audio book. What book have you brought today? Okay, so I had a really hard time choosing between two. Um, So I'm just going to mention both because I think that everyone should read the other one. But then I'm going to pull a quote from the one that's like lesser known. Okay, cool. That makes sense. So everyone should go read So You Want to Talk About Race. That's like one of my favorite books ever. But I'm going to pull a quote today from a book called You Are Your Own by Jamie Lee Finch. And uh, it's a fantastic book. It's just lesser known. And I think everyone should read that also. Sweet. Wonderful. We will link both of those uh, as resources. Yes. Everyone go. Yes, for sure. Everyone go to your local bookstores. Support local bookstores. Um, (laughs) Yes. Can we hear 44 minutes and 41 seconds into this lovely book? All right. Let me... Ooh, let's see. So the quote that pulled up pretty close to that minute marker um, is natural human desires are described as ungodly and dangerous and are required to be suppressed until implied heterosexual marriage in order to be holy. So take that as you will, process that and think about, you know, how that may have impacted your life at one point or another, whether or not you are religious, just because society is built on it, whether you participate or not. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I'm just curious in the context of like this book in this chapter, is mm-hmm. it talking about um, a specific, you know, culture or society or community, or is it just kind of in general that it's saying, human desires are ungodly and dangerous, or that's how they're described? So the book is about, um, Jamie Lee Finch is a embodiment coach who works with people who have suffered from um, religious trauma syndrome. And so Mm. she works with people who are coming out of being traumatized and scarred from their religious upbringing or their religious community or whatever. And so the book is about, um, essentially, the book is about the impact that 
white Christian evangelicals had through the 20th century on America and American culture. And if you didn't grow up in an evangelical household or didn't even grow up Christian, you might not know that so many pe- so many harmful pieces of our society and culture are truly because of the evangelicals in the 1900s. Um, And so she uses psychology and neuroscience to kind of explain how religion can be dangerous. It's really interesting. Blew my whole mind wide open. I was like, oh, that's, they started that? Like we have, like we have dress codes in high school because of the evangelicals in the in the twentieth century. Yeah, that can be tied back that to is them. Fascinating. All right, so Abby, I'd like to just um, open up our conversation, maybe by asking if you could tell us a little bit about your path in the arts and where you yeah. are on that journey as of today. Okay, so I. Um, my mom is white and my dad is black. So I was born into like multicultural experience. Um, I, my white side of the family is all in Wisconsin and Minnesota and my dad's side is, is all Alabama and Virginia. Um, and then for my dad's job, I moved around growing up like every three years. So I've lived all over the U.S. and also in China. And then while we were in China, traveled a lot in Asia. So I'm very like... Uh, culturally immersed from like a young age and then also like being a black girl and growing up in a Christian household I was like singing in church for from like as early as I can remember I mean I was singing to like Disney stuff from probably before I remember Mm. being in church like Disney is my church (laughs) 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 um so it So, like, for as long as I can remember, I was singing, and then when I got, I think I was, like, nine, and I had this, like, epiphany moment of, like, this is what I'm supposed to do, and I was supposed (laughs) to be, and I was supposed to be in bed, and I was, like, daydreaming about my future, and, like, who I'm gonna be in the world. I'm, like, nine years old, okay? And I go downstairs, and I'm, like, mom, 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 this is, this is really important. I really need you to hear this and understand me, and I'm, like, telling her that I'm gonna, like, be a singer and like like be in music and like maybe on Disney or whatever and she's like um okay go to bed (laughs) and I was like no this is so like it felt very profound to me in the moment um and then for years it was like it was like a battle of like this isn't a phase and mom was like you're gonna major in something not music and I remember my grandma being like you know that Juilliard is really hard to get into and then I started taking voice lessons in seventh grade I was in competitive show choir all through high school while also taking professional voice lessons I was doing all the things I was in uh I was with an agency in downtown Cincinnati in high school and then I was also in an acting studio in high school that was more like elevated exploratory theater work um and so then by the time I got to my senior year of high school and I was auditioning for all the programs all the collegiate programs and uh 
uh, Anna will remember this. I don't know what the rankings are now because they change all the time. But at the time when we got in, IU was the best vocal program in the country. And I was like, ha ha, Grandma, Juilliard my ass. <laughs> yes. I was like, Take fuck that. you, look at me. <laughs> um, so then I went to I went to IU and I majored in classical voice. Uh, and I was like, this is, um, uh, no, <laughs> this is not my flavor of music. Uh, I really loved the like rigorous training vocally. And my voice teacher was like the king of pedagogy. I studied with Brian Gill. Um, and so I really loved the like training my voice individually but like all of the other stuff was um annoying and not fun <laughs> um <clears throat> jacobs is uh very uh i've heard i've heard someone explain it as a a factory where it puts out lots of good product but not a lot of happy artists i got to a point where I was like, this is not fun. I don't like this anymore. And then they were talking about, I was in the Singing Hoosiers, uh, which was not on the same <laughs> physical level, but like as close as you can get to like collegiate show choir. So I just like graduated and went and did the same thing. <laughs> um, and yes, Singing Hoosiers. <laughs> in high school, in high school in Cincinnati, our our uh one of our vocal arrangers was lee wilder and i had met her my freshman year of high school and i loved her with all of my heart and then i found out she taught at uh jacobs at iu and i was like oh i'm gonna go there i would like to study with her forever um she is i call her my musical mother figure because my actual mom is fantastic i don't need like an and different mom because my mom sucked or anything. My mom was fantastic, but she is like my musical mom. Um, yes. And so I went to IU, went into the Singing Hoosiers, which she was the director of. And then my sophomore year, they were like, yeah, so you were only interim director for the director before you who passed away. And um, we, they obviously didn't say this in so many words, but this is what they meant. We don't like um, what you look like on paper in relativity to like what Jacobs stands for. And so we're gonna slowly push you out and we're gonna pretend like you can, you can reapply for your jobs, but we've already decided that you're fired. And it was the most like twisted, fucked up, problematic thing because I dearly loved her and that room was a safe space for all of the students of color and queer students and the people who had problems with her were mostly uh, cis hetero white students who felt like she had favorites um, and I look back at it now and I really think that the problem that they had is that they weren't always picked first in her class. And so I stayed through my junior year at IU and I was on leadership for Singing Hoosiers that year. I was on the leadership team working closely under this new director and I hated it the whole time. So I left, I went to Belmont 
for their commercial voice program because I was like, ooh, I'll just go sing pop music. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the music program there was fun, but Belmont has its own issues um, because the school itself is a private Christian university and it was built on a slave plantation and the master house still stands on campus. I walked past it every day that I was there. So now I have graduated. I got to <clears throat> the end of my last year at Belmont and I was like, this is just not fun anymore, actually. Like, I just, this is a lot of like, like begging people who don't see value in me to believe in my talent. And like, I just am like super not interested in that, the way that society is structured mm -hmm. right now. I don't want to, like, I love art and music and always will, but the way mm -hmm. that things ended up going, I got to a place where I was like, this is not only like frustrating and hard, but like, I've lost the enjoyment and I just like have to take a time out. So I graduated and I was like, I'm not doing music. I'm taking a hiatus. Maybe I'll come back to music one day, or maybe like I was never supposed to do this and I have to like completely find what my passion is supposed <clears throat> is supposed to be excuse me um and and I'm totally fine with that and even if that's the case like it still all should have happened the way that it did because the kind of person that I am and as profound as I thought that moment was when I was nine years old and like I knew that I was going to be a <laughs> singer the only way mm -hmm. I would have let go of music is getting to a place where I was angry at it does that make sense? Like I never would have, mm -hmm. I never would have yeah. like somewhere in the middle been like, well, I could also do this. Like if I was ever yeah. gonna let go and consider other options, I had to like find resentment for it to be like, I need something else. I have to do something else. And so I graduated mm -hmm. and I was like, mm, time out on the music. We're not doing that for, for a minute. We might come back. We might circle back around later, but it's, uh, it doesn't, serve or make me happy right now so we're gonna put that in like a like only singing along in the car kind of vibes for now <laughs> yeah and try to find yes. that like just joy and mm -hmm. like why you fell in love with it in the first place right abby thank you so much for sharing that in your experience as a black female artist mm -hmm. in the music world can you talk a little bit about some of your, should you return to this world eventually? What would you need? What would be the things that you would say 100% this is an, a must in order for me to feel seen, to feel heard, to feel supported? Um, the people, and this goes for, this goes for more than just the arts field for me. This is like a societal thing. But the people in power need to be informed and inclusive. So like the like the main casting directors in Hollywood are just like all white. And it's like you can have you can have a movie that was like written by a black person, you can have a black director and you can cast a whole bunch of black people, but like it's still it still feels it still feels 
harmful and uh, cheap that it's like you got there because the white people let you be there. You know mm. what I mean? And mm. so having people of any marginalized group of people, and I've been trying really hard to uh, broaden my awareness and understanding in my like intersectional blind spots that I know that I have um because that's important like I've been trying to learn about other groups the way that I wish everybody would learn about black people does that make sense to like be to walk the walk you know what I mean and so Mm -hmm. I I think that like on on the in the places of power on the on the panels on the teams who are in charge there need to be women and people of color and queer people and disabled people like there need to be all of those things and it needs to not just be a an able-bodied neurotypical cis hetero white or white passing male everywhere like that just is not gonna cut it from now until forever frankly it's not gonna cut it between now and the end of my life i just will not i'm not interested in that Mm mm-hmm will not (laughs) so like things like that need to be celebrated and supported and like made room for and not just like hey just so you all know we're posting this instagram post to tell you that we support black people and then you promote zero black people you Mm -hmm. have zero black people on your c-suite you have zero black people on your leadership team and it's like cute cute instagram post uh show me the money (laughs) where's where's the evidence absolutely yeah it's very performative Mm -hmm. which i Mm -hmm. think is the is super hilarious and ironic to come from performing arts programs that they are some of the most performative when it comes to performative activism (laughs) yes yeah Yeah. you said something you said well you said so many really (laughs) important beautiful things there but um one thing you said about wanting to see these changes within the span of your lifetime so when we talk about changing the world in like whatever way that comes up, that can be a big, big thing to, to break down. But in our lifetimes, what does changing the world look like for you? Ooh, I feel so strongly about this. Yes. So okay. as a, uh, as a black woman who was born into an interracial family, when my parents were born, their marriage would have been illegal. So they saw that law change in their lifetime and then later mm-hmm. got married and had, you know, some of the first, the earliest generations of like legal interracial children. <laughs> um, I, wow. I am re- like, it hurts my, it like physically tightens my chest in a visceral way when I think about all of the generations that have had to like 
Well, I may never see it, but I'm working towards the future so that maybe my grandchildren someday... No, I'm not... No, we're not doing that anymore. Because, like, Martin Luther King was very aware of, like, he had a dream that he may never see come to fruition. And I just am, like, really, really sick of black generations of black people being told, like, well, the next generation, the next generation... And it's like, I, I won't be here then. I want to see it. I want to see, I'm not interested in like dreaming a dream that I'll never see. I want to see the dream before I die or I'm not interested. I'm not playing the game. Yeah. I want to see it with my eyes. I, when this, one of the first things that, uh, all, all that stuff on Twitter that's like, what's the thing that radicalized you? I don't know if anyone has seen those. And then people are like, yes. and I know people what you're are like, about, well, yeah. when I realized that corporations were this, that, and the, whatever. And so when I went off to college, I graduated high school in 2015. And then the summer of 2016 was that summer that it felt like black people were being killed <laughs> by the police literally like every other day. It felt like, it felt like it was 20 people in 48 hours had been had been murdered by the police obviously that's not how condensed and and dense that it was but like that's what it felt like that summer because it felt like very nonstop and also kind a little bit out of nowhere but again that was like we were approaching the 2016 fall election and so that that had been that Mm. pot had been stirred already and so I grew up, and I'm sure lots of the audience, lots of the people who will listen to this, uh, I grew up in, I was born in 96 and grew up in a version of America that was um, Bush and uh, post 9-11 propaganda that I didn't realize was propaganda until I got older. And it was like one of the most hurtful things to look back at your childhood and like what you were taught by your own country to turn around and look back and be like y'all just straight lied to my face you literally just lied to us to make us believe that what you were doing was good and positive and you straight up lied to us the way that you like taught us about how they did in Germany and like never be never fall prey to that and like never let that you were literally doing that to us and so I grew it I grew up in this world where it was like racism is over and we fixed it all and also like 9-11 happened and now everybody's nice to each other and like it was the most bullshit propaganda childhood and then living abroad and learning about my country from all of my I went to an international school while we were there and so learning about my country from the perspective of all of my friends who were not from America and realizing how the rest of the world sees us from my middle school friends you know when you still give a shit about what people think of you was like the most humbling experience of my life Mm. to be thrown into an international school in middle school as a suburban American kid who grew up in Bush's America. And I was like, Mm. "Uh, oh, no. (laughs) 
Um, we went on field trips. My international school went on field trips to Cambodia and Vietnam. I've stood inside of the torture prison that John McCain was held in. I've been in the tunnels in Vietnam. So like I saw it with my own eyes and my own body and then realized all like slowly how much of what had been told to me as a young American was just lies. And then most recently is this past summer as everything has shifted and it was literally just like, like black people being lynched in 2020. What world do we live in? What the hell is that? And both my almost 60 year old black father and my 80 something year old white grandfather, both of them from two very different perspectives and a couple decades apart, we're both like, this feels like the 60s again. And that was, that like shattered my whole being. I was like, I will not. You will not catch me at 60 years old having seen nothing change. Absolutely not. And so that was something for me that I was like, how though? How does it, how are you a grown ass grandfather and it feels like nothing has changed since the 60s. But you all told us how much work and how much change you had made. And so for me, like, I am 0% interested in dreaming a dream that I will never see and passing it to passing that burden to the next generation and leaving this earth knowing that it is as horrible as when it, I came into it. Absolutely. No. I'm just simply not interested. And I'm already seeing people our age be like, well, we might never see it before. We and I'm, no, stop that. You're 20. You're 20. Yeah. You have literally so many years, so many decades, and you have to demand that you will see it before you leave this earth or you, or you won't. <laughs> And I just am simply not, like if someone came to me and was like, I am sent from the future or I am a, a sentient universal being all knowing and was like, I can guarantee you that nothing will change for black people in America between now and the end of your life. I'd be like, I'm good, actually. I don't want to do this then. If there's nothing that will, if you could guarantee me nothing will change no matter how I live my life, then I, then... I really feel like I have no reason to be here because I will fight to the end to make things better. But if you could guarantee me that mm -hmm. it's going to just repeat and I will be my dad's age and my grandfather's age watching nothing have ch no. Mm -mm. Yeah. So I need it to be bare minimum safe. I need it to be safe for black people to exist in their lives within the law. I need to not be a black woman like scared to go to sleep in my own bed at night. Yeah. I told you I felt strongly about this. <laughs> yeah. As everybody That's, should. As, as everybody should, yeah. 100%, yeah. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. I think a lot of people, especially because are, especially because American public school like really really like drove 
MLK into our fucking souls. I think that <laughs> I think that a lot of people have been like preconditioned to be ready to think that it's like noble to like, well, I'm fighting for this, but like I may never see it. And that's okay. No, no. The fact that they taught you to think that mm. that's that that's okay, that that's an acceptable outcome. You're allowed to pick something else, actually. That's not the only option in this mm -hmm. fight. You're allowed to pick something else and demand that or nothing. Yeah. And I just am not interested I... in reaching grandparent age and being like, oh, another lynch. No, <laughs> I will not. I feel like that, that energy has been it's very easy to like take what you're saying and, and point it back on this past summer when take George mm -hmm. Floyd, all of the protests, everything was in flames in end of May throughout mm -hmm. June come July, people stop posting. Social media starts to go back to normal people start forgetting and they start saying like, oh, I guess maybe I, d I did something and it's just not going to happen this year. But what's it, what does mm -hmm. it take? Like, do, do we, how many people have to die for people to wake the fuck and up? And what's really painful for, for black people is that like, how many how many times do white people need to watch it happen before it like registers that this has to stop because it's like the yeah. videos over and over. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if you guys have been on the news yet today, but literally today is all of this stuff about yeah. uh, Jacob Blake who was shot yeah. point blank seven times in the mm -hmm. back reaching into his car to get his kids who were sitting in there. So his three sons are sitting in the car and watched the police just unload into his back. That happened today or maybe yesterday and was reported on today. It was at a protest. Yeah. Yeah. And they're already like protesting about it. Wisconsin. Yeah. 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 So if you're listening, um, there it's this is not a time to sit back and put anything you know on the back burner this is this is not the time for that at all as and the responsibility heard, yeah. my fellow white listeners the responsibility does not fall on black people to educate us we need to be doing the work ourselves there is a lot of unlearning as abby has alluded to we have been essentially brainwashed into believing that racism does not exist and it is time to unlearn and realize that it does and start taking action steps as allies in support of our BIPOC friends and family yeah and I I think that it's really uh daunting for a lot of white people because they're like well I have I don't have like a perspective or a testimony on this like what am I supposed to say about it and it's like I'm not actually asking you to like go on your Instagram and like vlog your experience with racism or like type up a, a 10 paragraph essay about 
how you're changing things or how you're learning and growing like you can literally just like follow the correct people and like share things to your story you know what I mean like even just amplifying other voices or being like hey I learned a lot from reading through this maybe you guys will too and like like that is it we're not asking for you to write your own novel on it I would prefer that you didn't actually I literally never recommend white fragility to any person looking to learn about race because I don't think that white people should be teaching Mm -hmm. about racism (laughs) and they definitely shouldn't be making money teaching about racism uh but Mm -hmm. you can like share things and amplify other voices or be like hey I learned a lot from this another person might also like that's helpful (laughs) so speaking of amplifying other voices can you who are some of your favorite people that you want to give shout outs to so we can link them give them so rachel cargill i already mentioned is fantastic i love everything that she posts and she is really super uh like non-sugarcoating like will call she will screenshot problematic comments from white people in the comments of her posts and then like edit it like an English teacher with like marks and stuff and be like this is where this person was racist and this is where this person recentered themselves in the conversation and this is where the person played the victim in being a racist (laughs) and like she's fantastic but she will hold no punches (laughs) So if you're looking for a, a sugar-coated version of learning about racism, she's not your bitch. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also, I also love, uh, who else do I follow? The, the Conscious Kid is a good one to follow on Instagram. Um, yes, I love oh, them. I'm going to send you guys the video, but the Jesse Williams speech from his, accepting his BET award, this was, like, not even recently. This I think this was, like, years ago. But his speech was very profound. Uh, there are lots of... There's also lots of different levels of it. So it, you can follow someone who just is going to, like, attack the point all the time and be teaching nonstop. There's also, like, I love love the show Dear White People on Netflix and that's a more like entertainy yes. version yes. of learning yeah. <laughs> uh highly recommend mm-hmm. it's very funny <laughs> uh but you learn a lot and the first time it's so funny because the first time that I watched it was that summer after my freshman year of college when that like first wave of police killings was happening and I was like "Ooh, this is a lot this is too much and I was, that's when the, that's when it first released, I think in 2015. And so then I watched it that summer or whatever. And then I rewatched it during mm-hmm. quarantine. And in, in the learning that I have made in myself, I picked up on things this time that I, that went over my head last time, or there were like guest stars in certain episodes mm-hmm. that I thought were just like extras the first time that I watched it. And I was like, that's Kid Fury. That's, I listen to his podcast now. 
that he's sitting, he's sitting on the couch with Todrick Hall arguing about Taylor Swift. And I like, that went over my head the first time. And this time I was like, I know exactly where this beef is coming from because Kid Fury talks about not being a Taylor Swift fan on his podcast all the time. But I like knew who those black icons were this time around because I've been yeah. soaking myself in black content since I got to college. And I was yeah. like, oh, this has layers this time that it didn't the first time. So yeah. there's lots in there. It's fantastic. Oh, podcasts. Yeah. Um, the Read with Kid Fury and Crystal is a black queer podcast. And they talk about pop culture stuff, but also like stuff in the black community. And then they get to like politics a little bit sometimes but that's a more like um being aware of what's happening in the black pop culture community uh but in a more like oh. funny entertainment mm. sphere in that kind of mood and then i really have been mm. loving um if anyone is a bachelor person uh rachel Lindsay was the first black bachelorette and she has a podcast called higher learning with van lathan who was the first black guy ever at tmz and the two of them like really get into it about important stuff and they talk almost exclusively about especially lately it's almost all about politics with like some pop culture those are all good options (laughs) I could send. I could send you yes, a list. Thank yeah, you. thank you. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. No problem. Thank you. Um, I'm just curious. Uh, we don't have too too much time left, but I want to ask, how do you find um your work in the arts and your experience and training and all that? How do you find that intersects with your work, um, that you do in activism and social justice? Do you find that mm. one informs the other or vice versa? Do you find one helps um, the other? Is there any sort of... It's definitely more... I am more raw and honest and, like, drawing from my own real experiences in my activism than I am, like, on stage pretending to do something. (laughs) Um, But especially Mm -hmm. because often, like, the, the characters are not written for me anyways. So I'm, like, in a show where, like, I don't belong here, but you, like, made a space for me. So, like, I, like this is what I was... Bo- for anyone who doesn't know already, I, we said that I'm a Libra, which, like, balance, fairness, justice. <laughs> I'm also an Enneagram 8. <laughs> if anyone knows what that means, I can also send you a, a graphic on that for people who care about the Enneagram. Uh, and so, like, I was yeah. pretty much born to just, like, scream about justice and fairness. <laughs> Um, and so I think that, I think that like I was born caring about what is right and what is fair, but then like coming out of being a performer, I'm very comfortable and natural. Like public speaking is literally nothing to me. I'll give it, I'll wing a speech in front of a thousand people. Like I don't care. And so I'm like very comfortable in front of people and speaking in front of people and like uh formulating a point or a story or whatever it may be like i'm super comfortable in that space and have no problem like putting myself 
in front of people to uh, experience and process to possibly maybe be the thing that like teaches them something. Whereas like a lot of people are mm. still like not comfortable being like the thing that everybody looks at when they're when they're learning and also maybe critiquing or mm. being shady, being racist and problematic, whatever. Um, but like I'm comfortable in that space and have no qualms about like having to put myself out there or whatever to get my point across or to like mm -hmm. speak on something that I think is important. Yes, ever since I've known you, Abby, you've just been, <laughs> no, she does not hold back. She does not sugarcoat. She is blunt and Tea. she is honest. And it is, I mean, that's mm -hmm. the energy that we all need. So I'm definitely not that Libra that like will like hold things in or like lie to you to not hurt your feelings. Like I'll hurt your feelings with the truth before I'll lie to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and I done. expect yeah. that in return, like from all my people, I would rather you hurt my feelings than lie to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Huh. Yeah. Well, thank you for being like that because it's, <laughs> clearly making a lot of great changes in the no world problem. and will continue to do so. So, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, Abby, is there, we are about to wrap up our mm -hmm. uh, time on a podcast, but is there anything that you were hoping that we would ask you about and talk about that you uh, were thinking like, oh, I really wanted to cover this and I didn't get a chance to? Ooh, okay. So one, like extra thing and this only I was only reminded of this because I was watching the interview that Trevor Noah did on the Daily Show with Daniel Kaluuya uh, who mm -hmm. you guys might know from like Get Out he was in that mm -hmm. new Queen and Slit he's been in lots of stuff mm -hmm. uh, but he's fantastic and they were talking about um, it basically just reminded me personally that I think that the entertainment industry in general needs to take more responsibility for the like culturally influencing societal pillar that we are like we are not just like artists out here like making pretty things for fun like mm -hmm. the way that people turn to entertainment and the way that entertainment so easily influences the culture and the people holds a serious responsibility and i think that we need to do a better job as as an industry of like honoring that responsibility instead of like pretending like we're just cutesy artists because right. it's we hold way more responsibility than like singing a pretty note or like painting a pretty sunset. Like it's all political, whether you meant for it to be or not. Uh -huh. And I think that's really important. And he, Daniel mm -hmm. Kaluuya said that he got to a point in his career where he was like, do I wanna be a good singer or do I wanna sing great songs? And he was like, I wanna sing great songs. And that's why he does the projects that he does. That's why he's not doing 
like no shade but like friends or like a ran like cats or you know what i mean like he's doing like hard-hitting punchy stuff that comments and asks questions about society because like Mm -hmm. you can have a pretty voice and say nothing Mm -hmm. oh yes yes. absolutely (laughs) and so i think that artists individually and the entertainment industry as a whole should start thinking about more seriously the responsibility we hold and the influence we have in society because whether or not you meant it to be your your pretty art will impact someone politically Mm. yes whether you want it to or not Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah 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 so <laughs> just just some light thoughts you know sean's just gonna yeah, sit no, there and marinate I, on all I of that, that. <laughs> i i yeah yeah i really love that so thank you so much yeah, for no sharing problem. that um abby where can our audiences find you oh social media um, all that good stuff i i think i'm abby underscore pearl on ev everything uh instagram i'm all i'm really loud and angry on twitter (laughs) uh i'm cool and cute and fun on instagram but then like my story on instagram is like all informative and activism me stuff uh and i try to be as intersectional as possible when it's relevant perfect like today it's going to be a lot of police brutality stuff because that just happened but yeah yeah Um, do you have a website that you were using when you were an, uh, singing and creating that you want people to know about or no? No, I didn't ever make a website for uh, my performance stuff. I started to do to make a website for my beauty stuff and then quarantine happened and I was like, I'm not going to put money into this because I can't touch people's bodies with lipstick <laughs> right now anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. That makes it okay. a bit tough, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So Instagram and Twitter, really. <laughs> Perfect. So if you want to awesome. find her, go follow away. <laughs> go for it. I'll be there. <laughs> thank well, you guys thank- so much. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for yeah. being here and taking time out of your busy, busy life and mm-hmm. uh, talking to us and talking on this podcast and i'm i know people will learn a lot from from listening to you and I hopefully hope so. they'll go follow you and keep learning and <laughs> yes yeah thank you I for will, being so... i'll send you guys mm-hmm. some links and books and stuff that would be fantastic Yay. thank you yeah yeah thank you so much for for being here today and being so generous with sharing your experiences and thoughts and ways if we can get everyone involved so we really, really appreciate this. And thank you to our yeah. audiences as well for listening today. We hope you enjoyed episode seven of Are We All Met? Yay. Great. <laughs> Till next time, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs>